Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find out about the Creative Writer's Tool Belt handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt podcast, and it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 135 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast, which I have billed as a conversation with my guest, Jen Loudon. And it very much is a two-way thing, this conversation. And I think I probably say more in this episode about my own personal philosophy for approaching the craft of writing than I do in any of the other episodes that I've created so far. So this episode is very much about how we should think of ourselves as writers and how we should think of our work. It's different from a lot of the other episodes of the podcast that I've done because there isn't a clear set of insights or practical points at the end. But please believe me when I say that what we talk about here, Jen and I, is important for all of us. How each of us thinks about ourselves as a person, as a writer, and separate to that, how we think about our work, all of these things are crucial to the quality of what we eventually produce. So in this episode, we dig into some searching questions like, do you really know why you want to write? Do you know what your book is really about? And do you know where the truth of the story that you're telling lies? So my guest today on the podcast is the writer and international speaker Jennifer Loudon. Jen is a personal growth pioneer who helped launch the concept of self-care with her first best-selling book, The Woman's Comfort Book. Since then, she's written six additional books on well-being, has a million copies of her books in print in nine languages, and she has spoken at events in the US, Canada, and Europe. And she's been profiled or quoted in dozens of major magazines as well as books, and has appeared on hundreds of TV, radio shows, and podcasts, and even Oprah. So I had a fascinating and insightful conversation with Jen Loud, and I really enjoyed talking with her. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation and that it's helpful to you. Here it is. And welcome to episode 135 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast, which I have billed as a conversation with my guest, Jen Loudon. And it very much is a two-way thing, this conversation. And I think I probably say more in this episode about my own personal philosophy for approaching the craft of writing than I do in any of the other episodes that I've created so far. So this episode is very much about how we should think of ourselves as writers and how we should think of our work. It's different from a lot of the other episodes of the podcast that I've done because there isn't a clear set of insights or practical points at the end. But please believe me when I say that what we talk about here, Jen and I, is important for all of us. How each of us thinks about ourselves as a person, as a writer, and separate to that, how we think about our work, all of these things are crucial to the quality of what we eventually produce. So in this episode, we dig into some searching questions like, do you really know why you want to write? Do you know what your book is really about? And do you know where the truth of the story that you're telling lies? So my guest today on the podcast is the writer and international speaker, Jennifer Loudon. Jen is a personal growth pioneer who helped launch the concept of self-care with her first best-selling book, The Woman's Comfort Book. Since then, she's written six additional books on well-being, has a million copies of her books in print in nine languages, 
and she has spoken at events in the US, Canada and Europe and she's been profiled or quoted in dozens of major magazines as well as books and has appeared on hundreds of TV, radio shows and podcasts and even Oprah. So I had a fascinating and insightful conversation with Jan Loud and I really enjoyed talking with her. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation and that it's helpful to you. Here it is. Jen, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt podcast. What a great title for a podcast. Like, <laughs> just neat. I just imagine me putting my tool belt on right now. <laughs> well, there is a really good reason, a very strong reason. I hope it's strong. Anyway, why, why I call it the Creative Writers Tool Belt? Because the whole point about it is it's not a, it's not a toolbox that you'd have to carry around or go backwards and forwards to the idea of the tool belt is you've got it with you all the time so all the skills that you need as a writer you almost subconsciously can reach for them and use them in your writing that's mm-hmm. that's the concept that. oh that's so reassuring <laughs> isn't it it <laughs> is it's, 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 that's the way i mean i think writing you know good good writing is a little bit like it's learning to drive or learning to swim or learning whatever you can't really be thinking too much about the mechanics of what you're doing as you're writing so so it just all has to be there for you. So that's how, that's where that name came from. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about you, Jen. Uh, so I'd like to start by asking if you could just introduce yourself for us and tell us a little bit about your background and, and some of the stuff that, that you get up to now. Okay, so a little bit about me in three sentences or less. Um, so <laughs> I started... <laughs> I um I always wanted to create and it, originally as a as a child and a um first in college it was movies I wanted to make movies okay. so I ended up going to USC film school mm-hmm. and I quickly discovered that maybe I didn't have I look back now I was so young I was 19 and <laughs> I just didn't have the the strength of character and and convictions and experience. So I ended up um, starting screenwriting, and I had always written and written, you know, short stories and things that that we all often do when we're young and yes. want to be creative. Yeah, and so and so I had a little bit of success as a screenwriter, but mostly I was really really unhappy. And out of that <laughs> unhappiness came the the first the title for my first book. In a moment of, I really I look back and think it was incredible grace. And that was a book called The Woman's Comfort Book. And it took me a few years to believe I could write it and to do the research and to sell it. And and it became a word of mouth bestseller. And it really started my whole career. And so for a number of years, my career was writing self-help books, speaking, leading workshops and retreats all around different issues of women actualizing themselves and personal growth. But my interest and love of writing was always there. Of course, I was a working writer. I was writing all the time. And I started leading writing retreats. And they became very popular. And then the people would come back to those retreats year after year. And I started learning about book coaching. I had done another form of coaching training um, somewhere in there about 2001. Mm -hmm. And just really beginning to have two sides to my business, right? The empowering women. But also, it's so fascinating to me how many women want to write as a way uh, it's like a deep soul expression and some of them of course want to do it professionally and and I work with a small number of those one-on-one or in a mastermind group but really the larger message is how do you help the how do you claim your voice and and that's so integral to your whole life absolutely yeah so there's also um an an addition to some failed screenplays in the drawer there's I think (laughs) seven or eight self-help books most of my books have stayed in print now um my first book was published in 1992 I've got two novels in the drawer. I spent four years and 500 pages writing a memoir that totally failed, but but it has risen to a new life, and I'm in the middle of writing what I swore I would never write again, which is another self-help book. And I, 
<laughs> and I'm really loving it. I'm really, I, it's, I, I have this thing and I'd love to talk to you. I'd love your opinion on this. That certain, we all have certain themes that we just return to over and over again. Yes. And we can resist them or we can try to do them justice. And I think that we probably shouldn't resist them. If, if you want my immediate shoot from the hip, <laughs> this is my shoot from the hip opinion on this. I mean, I think it's it's one of those things where obviously context matters, but I think there are things in people's minds and hearts which are quite deep, which will surface again and again, perhaps in different manifestations in there. In, in, in I'm talking across the whole creative sphere now, whether you're um, probably whether you're even a dancer or a writer or a sculptor or an artist or or an actor or whatever you are. I think those themes will come back again and again. And they, they may they may mature, they may change slightly, but you can see the root. The root will be there and will come out again and again. And I, I think that is the case. And it might be a kind of character you want to write about. It could be a theme that you want to keep talking about. It could be some kind of symbolism in, in your work, but it, it will come out again and again. I think, and, and if you can create a story which is authentic and which is compelling and truthful, um, then why not? Because it ain't going to go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what I've come to. It's so interesting in writing this book. And I shared with you before we started recording that my mom mm. had, has recently died and mm. she had Alzheimer's and it was, uh, you know, eight years of her decline and mm. Writing about that in the memoir that failed allowed me to come to peace with my mom in a whole different way because Mm. we'd always had a fairly, I don't know, complicated relationship. Yeah, yeah. But in doing that writing, this is so fascinating. So in doing that writing, I figured out that my mom's inability for a variety of reasons, many of which were not under her control, to have her own creative voice in life had had been the reason why I've been helping women Mm. all these years Mm. and seeing that through writing scenes about it, which maybe no one will ever see allowed me to understand what my work was really about and embrace it in a new way. There is, there is so much that we could talk about with this. I feel like (laughs) just the, just the stuff you've said there, I thought we could, we could blow the next hour easily (laughs) talking about that because I'm thinking about the people I know and people of different generations as well. I think there are um, older People, I mean, by older, I mean people who are probably in their late 70s, 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. and they just haven't had the benefit of being able to understand how to learn about themselves because the, the culturally it just wasn't there in their generation. Okay. But but if they had, they would have been able to express themselves. They would have been able to find themselves. They would have been able to engage in a truthful way about with who they are and, and they're, um, you know, let off a bit of steam, maybe, whatever it is. So in the context of for, for writers, if I was intent on writing my book, I've got a book my project in mind and I'm going to get into it. And I then ask and, and then perhaps before I start or just as I start, I might be plagued by doubts and, and ask myself, why should I bother? Or mm-hmm. or even who am I to be writing this book? So what would what would you say to somebody who's kind of feeling perhaps a little bit paralyzed by by those kinds of questions that those questions are perhaps stopping them from getting into their creative flow and doing the project they want to do i'd say they're fantastic questions but it's (laughs) how you're asking them so you're Mm. asking them from a mindset that we might call if we wanted to borrow professor carol dweck's work a fixed mindset so without even aware of it you're asking it from the mood or the place of well 
I'm certain I can't do it. I'm certain mm. there's not a sufficient mm. answer. Or you're asking it from the place of, and this is me totally outing myself, I want an easy answer. I want to know it right now. I want it all <laughs> just to plop out on the page for me. I'm a little bit lazy. Um, but so, so just getting curious, like, okay, what if in fact I can trust, deep trust, that there are experiences and insights in me, or for those of us among us who are fiction writers or a combination of both, there are curiosities. There's things I wonder about. If I slow things down and and get curious about what those are and start naming Mm. them, Mm. but I name them from a place of self-trust instead of a place of, again, the fixed mindset, uh, you know, the sort of self-suspicion that we so often have about ourselves. Mm. So that's the first thing I would say. Okay. Do you want to go on and talk talk about the second thing? Well, well then, so I always coach myself and my my people that I work with to go inside first. And this doesn't work for everybody. But for me, and you can tell from the story that I told earlier, my work has to be motivated by something deep and authentic for me. And usually something I'm learning. I could never write for the marketplace. Every single time I tried, I, I just just bit the dust. In fact, I used to write a national magazine column and they, it started as personal essays and it was like I could write about anything I wanted. And then the magazine got bought by Martha Stewart's company and they wanted me to do Q&A, like kind of, you know, uh, advice. Yes. Oh my yeah. God, I hated it so much. And they eventually <laughs> fired me. <laughs> Because I think I sucked. I said the same thing over and over again. Be aware, be aware, practice awareness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so then I think the second thing that once we go inside is, and of course we do have to ask, dear reader, why does this matter to you? Or the reason this matters to yeah. you, dear reader. We need to have the intimacy to connect with who's going to be on the other end and start thinking about them and sort of do this back and forth, inner and outer. I didn't do that in my memoir. And so it was great therapy and it gave me this great insights into this new book. But gosh, if I would have been doing the outer part, I think I could have saved some time. <laughs> <laughs> so it, are you, perhaps we could, you could expand on this a little bit. Mm. I think what you're saying is inner as in you're looking positively in an introspective way on yourself and what you're doing and what you're writing and what you're producing and outer as in, how are people receiving the creative content that you are creating and and the balance between the two? Is that right? Or do you want to just elaborate well, on that a bit? Yeah, I think that's that's a great way to look at it. And, and to be a little bit more specific, it may be in those early stages that we were talking about for that writer who has an idea or an inkling and is doubting it. What I would mean by inner is don't look out, maybe, again, try this for yourself. Don't look outside of yourself and go, well, what do people want? Instead, I would say, what's arising in you that is not leaving you alone? And and that going back to the beginning mm. of our conversation, what are those signature themes or weird little nigglings? And mm. starting to expand on those, pay attention to those. And then every now and then, and more so as the draft begins to take shape, sort of telescoping out and thinking about that reader or three readers that you've gotten to know or that you've made up and thinking, yeah. how is this, is this clear to them? Is this going to land? Will yeah. they care? What do I have to change to make them care but we have to constantly be looking for that place that we fall into oh they just won't care it sucks well that you know maybe it does in this iteration but that's what that's why we get to write seventeen thousand drafts yay (laughs) (laughs) 
It is very hard, though, is it? Just reflecting on this, because even in what you've just said there, I think I understand the distinction that you've made, but it is mm. one that people need to kind of pay attention to and concentrate on. I, I, when I'm thinking about what you said with, you can't really write to market, and you're not talking about writing to market. So you're not talking about just producing something that you think is it going to entertain people and, and will sell, and that's all. But you are obviously paying some attention to how mm-hmm. what you are producing is received so that it's mm-hmm. going to be the people can connect with it it's going to be received well so how do you do that how do you think about the reader not because you're just going to give them a formula mm-hmm. but because you're trying to authentically connect with them well for me i have three portraits of actual people that oh, okay. i'm thinking of for the book. And I'm, you know, I'm lucky to get to meet these people and talk to them online. And, you know, I have a, a fairly robust learning community that I serve in different ways. And and so I keep, I'll write something, like I might sit down and, and I know what I'm going to write that day. And I'll write that, I'm writing um, chapters with a bunch of short sections in them, which I think both works really well for the content, but also for the way my brain works. Mm. And, um, and so then I might go back and I might read their little profiles that I wrote up and what they're looking for. And then I might go back and read what I wrote and go, is that... Let me just think about them. What do I need to add or subtract? What am mm. I? What point am I belaboring? Because I'm interested in it, but they're not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's what I mean about going back and forth. And I also want to say, if you know, people listening are writing to the marketplace, they are writing to genre, they are writing an ongoing series. I I think some people really orient well towards that. Yes, they do. Yeah, the, and yeah. that's great. Like I wish I could because I think in some ways it would really help my thinking and it would speed my writing process up. But you have to do it the way you are, don't you? You, you do. You, you ha- do. You Boy, you have I learned be another that. Writer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You have to do it the way, and that's why it's so great to listen to podcasts like this and take classes and all of that. But we have to constantly be orienting by our own sense yeah. of what works for us yeah. and throwing anything else out. And I want to. I think I want to come back to that in a moment, and perhaps in the context of finding voice, which is something mm. that you alluded to. But I wanted to pick up while we're on the theme of perhaps when a writer is starting a project. Um, I think you've said that there are three things that a writer needs to know before they start, or or, or perhaps keeps them going on a project. Um, do you want to do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Tell us what those are. Those things are. Well, the first thing. And again, I, I didn't learn this until kind of recent, so it makes me blush a little bit. But it's really, why are you doing this project? Sometimes that's really easy for people. And somebody listening may be going like, oh, yeah, that's an obvious question, Jen. But what I noticed for myself was there was a way that I wasn't willing to really own and choose my why. And it can totally mm. be because you want to make a living. But that shapes yeah, yeah. a different project, right? That shapes a different project. When I work with a writer, I mean, this is the first thing I ask them, why Why are you doing this project? What do you want the project to do for you? If they're like, well, I want to make money. I'm like, okay, that's a whole different setup. Mm. And I'm going to ask you a lot of different questions and keep that in mind. I want this to be my legacy for, for this body of work that I've had. Okay, let's explore that. What does that mean mm. for you? Mm. So I think being yeah. willing to choose your whys and not have 17,000 of them that conflict, a lot of people aren't willing to do that. They're like, oh, I want everyone to love it. It's like, well, that's really about them. What does that mean for you? Again, mm. is it about money? Is it about, like, I worked with one client who she she wanted to learn how to write a good novel. And I'm working with another client right now. Is this her side project? She has 
several, she has a business. She does a, she helps with a literary festival in Florida. She runs part of that literary festival, but she really wants to write YA, a YA novel. It's not front burner for her. It's not how she's going to make her living, but she really wants to do a yes. great job. Yeah. 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 When I ha- when I ask, talk to writers and ask those kinds of questions, very often I'll say to them, it's not the first answer that you give straight mm. off the cuff that is the answer. You actually have to sometimes dig dig a little bit deeper and say, well, why do you really want to do this? It ain't yeah. just that, oh, it just felt like a, it seems like a good idea. You, you know, <laughs> do the work to dig underneath and find out what the real reason is. Exactly. And without that, you can end up putting in the kitchen sink. You can end up writing four different books and try to smash them all in. You easily lose your ability to go through. You know, a book is a most people, for most people, not all people, writing a book is a long endeavor. And you can, without that why, and be able to check in with it. So, So that's the first thing. The second thing we already talked about, which is knowing who are you writing for? And again, some people, this is a no brainer. It's on every writing website. But again, I see that the way that people do it, it often, they're really not willing to choose. And Mm. it's one of the ways I can know people aren't great. uh, They're not going to be a great candidate for uh, writing coaching because they're like, well, I want it. I'm I'm writing it for everybody. I'm like, well, you can't write to everybody. (laughs) You, you, it's just, it's, it's like, are, are you writing for my daughter who's downstairs right now reading this fantasy trilogy that I read while my mom was dying um, when I needed an escape, you know, are you writing for, yeah. are you writing for a 12 year old? Or, so that kind of um, work. And again, the choosing of it, which I find difficult for some people. But it's it, finding the truth is hard work, I guess, isn't it? And, but there isn't any, there's no substitute for it, I, I suppose. <laughs> But it's also choosing. It's also saying, this is what I want. This is the reader I want to work. I want to write for. These are the three readers. I mean, again, I have three in mind. Then the third thing, honestly, has completely fallen out of my head. And I cannot think of it for the life of me. (laughs) If it comes to you, I'll edit it in. It's fine. (laughs) Um, While you're you're reflecting on that, um, another thing that I I, I know you've said, which, which I find quite fascinating, is that um, you've talked about fear and joy mm. as which seem very different things, but which you talk about holding those two things together, perhaps intention, but fear and joy and, and, and finding a way, you know, mediating a way through those those things. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Can you tell us what, what that means for you and how, how that works? Well, one of the I, I've been a student on and off of meditation, different meditation um, schools and lineages mm. since I was really young. And one of the schools of meditation um, is about holding opposites. And this, of course, is something Jung talked about. So you, mm. can, you can also find it in a psychological context, as well as uh, working with your mind. And the idea that we can hold our joy and our I would say our love of writing. And this is something that took me so long to embrace. I have learning disabilities. I My first drafts are truly horrific. And I, I'm not exaggerating. And I would let that take away the joy and love of writing because it mm. wouldn't come out well because it was so hard because I'm a slow writer. Like all these things that I thought made me not a writer. And it was my biggest fear that I wasn't really a writer and I mm. so much wanted to be. Um, so learning to open to that and hold that free of the outcome or the fear 
that I couldn't do it the way I should or that I wouldn't get the outcome I wanted. And I always say it was both a curse and a blessing to have my first book be my biggest bestseller because, yay, wow, it opened all kinds of doors to me. But, oh, wow, I just kept wanting that to happen again. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to be chosen. I wanted it to be bigger the next time. <laughs> so for me, it's, 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 it's learning to not think too, that fear and joy can't coexist, mm. that my love of writing can't be here in the morning when I show up at this desk. At the same time, those those thoughts might be arising that I'm not going to be able to do it. And I can let them both coexist without having to do anything different, but show up and keep writing. Mm. Okay. Moving on to something else now that's kind of tangential, but I suppose not actually connected, connected to some of the things we've said. I think you talked a little bit about resilience and the need for writers to be resilient especially with the long haul of writing a book. You've talked about how actually writing a book is quite an endeavour. And I think a lot of writers don't really understand the commitment, the work that they'll have to put in to get a you know, reasonably mm-hmm. decent book out. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can writers be resilient? What are, the, what are the things that you think they can do, we can do to help ourselves to kind of stay the course and, 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 and be joyful in, in the work that we have to do? Mm-hmm. I am so proud of how resilient I am. And (laughs) I was not for many, many years. Mm. And so I didn't, I think the first thing we have to do is even recognize that it's a skill that we can build. And it's a skill that we're probably going to be fine tuning our whole lives. Mm -hmm. So First of all, like I didn't even think that resiliency was a thing. <laughs> so let's just get that on the table. Resiliency is the thing. How do you bounce back from the inevitable bad drafts, um, you know, rejections, yeah. getting, you know, getting, you know, I've just been going through it with a dear friend of mine and, and also stay very balanced when you get good news, right? But this also doesn't yes. define or you don't go off into fantasy land like somebody I know in this room might do. <laughs> um, so what does it? What are the things that help you be resilient? You have to start studying yourself and getting curious. Is it having a group of people that are also writers, maybe different genres, who you can text or call um, or have a weekly group with or a monthly, you know, Zoom call with just to mm. shoot the you know, shoot mm. the breeze and talk about and normalize. I have had a, a peer mastermind. Everybody writes in it, but everyone does not consider themselves a writer. Um, they're primarily coaches and um, trainers. But we've been together for, I think we started our 12th or 13th year. And wow. having that experience of their ups and downs in their creative and business life to normalize mine has been huge, but also being seen by other people when I'm totally whining and muling and you know, <laughs> feeling sorry for myself and just having them like not buy it. Like, we're not, we're not going down there with you. We just don't think this is the end of the world. I've been able to internalize that. So you can get that from a group. You can get it. You could, of course, get it from a coach or a therapist. I think understanding how to work with your mind. I mean, this is to me the, the, the central thing we all need to learn to do. How do we work with our mind and emotions? How do we the cotton on that things are happening? That so much of what happens in our head we're not even aware of where it started, Like right? 98% of mm. what's running us is not clear to us. We're these incredibly instinctual creatures ruled by a very ancient evolutionary system. And we have to, we have to start to understand that and study it um, so that we can bring that kind of awareness to those moments. And we, when we believe the story that we are crap because 
our beta readers hated our book. I also think it has a lot to do with, with, with self-care and physical self-care. Okay. Um, I've been not eating so well um, since the week of sitting with my mom while she was dying. And, and then since I've been back, I mean, not terrible, but I'm, I have a fairly sensitive system. So, you know, eating uh, sugar and having a cocktail at night. Um, my daughter's been visiting. It's been really fun, but it starts to definitely bring my mood down. And so we often aren't looking at just how are we physically taking care of ourselves? Are we getting enough breaks? Are we getting outside? Are we moving our bodies? Are we drinking water? <laughs> mm. So, I mean, it, it is some of the outrageously simple things sometimes, mm-hmm. isn't it, I suppose. Because it's so simple, I think it makes it difficult sometimes. That's exactly right. I wrote about this in one of my books. And I gave it the most god-awful name, but I called it Minimum Requirements for Self-Care. And the idea is that the, the, the basic needs, the minimum stuff we need to sort of be in a kind of equilibrium, have the yeah. chance of more resiliency, we overlook them and we forget about them. And then... Then we think, oh, my God, my book sucks. You know, oh, I can't ever be a writer. Like we make these giant conclusions and believe our thoughts when if we really checked in and just kind of keep a little running list that you look at every few weeks. What are the things that you need? They'll change. They'll change as you're as you grow and as you yeah. age. Yeah. But for me, it, sleep is number one. I have really had sleep issues again since mom died. And oh, mm. my gosh, you could just like, <laughs> oh, I'm such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that comes on, I think, to something which I think is extremely important. And I mean, some people listening to this might be beginning to think, where's the righty stuff? But I think <laughs> this does all actually play into the the quality of the work that we can produce and how true we're being to, to, to our calling as writers. But self-awareness and self-knowledge, I think, are really important. And I think we've probably been skirting around the edge of, of that issue with this. So I wondered if I wondered if there's anything you wanted to say about maybe your journey towards self-awareness and techniques for self-awareness and the things that we can do to help us understand maybe why we feel certain things, why we why things are as they are in our heads and how we can ch- kind of take control of ourselves a little bit by understanding that stuff. Mm, I do understand why people who are listening and like want, you know, the 10 tips to write a better self-help book or something like that would, you know, I was that I was always about the ambition. I was always about getting the work done. But I think that if I had learned to see myself more as a, an actual whole creature, a human who Mm. happens to also write (laughs) instead of a writer with a capital W first, that probably would have uh, saved me a lot of grief and suffering. So it's a fabulous question. And we could talk about it for 17 hours. How do we practice (laughs) self-awareness, right? How do we practice that? So to me, the first and most important thing that I've learned in so many different schools of meditation is to begin to practice gently distancing yourself with curiosity and love from what you're thinking and from the emotions and moods that you're experiencing. Mm. You can do that through a practice of sitting meditation or um, moving meditation, whether that's walking or yoga. You can do it through a practice of journaling. And you can practice and play and mix and match different things. Mm. Uh, But the, the way that we fundamentally get off the, you know, the track and go down the rabbit hole and let's mix a lot of other metaphors <laughs> <laughs> is that we believe that what we're feeling and thinking is true. 
and that it defines us and that it will be true for all time. But if you've spent any time in practicing any kind of self-awareness, you realize that those thoughts and feelings and sensations in your body are always arising and passing away. Mm. And that what is you begin to experience is that there is a self or a presence that doesn't change. Um, I don't know what that is called. I don't have a sense of it being a divine something, but that would be really cool if I discovered it someday. I would be really into that. <laughs> um, but there is this sense of, of what um, in some some traditions might be called um, essential goodness, um, presence, and that you can feel that that and you can experience and touch it. And it's like that's that doesn't change. And the more that I can rest in that when I'm writing Mm. Um, it doesn't make my writing better. I wish I could say it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be make me the bed po- best podcast guest ever. Um, but it really does allow me to write more because I don't go down the rabbit hole. For me, it would often be a lot of editing, cleaning things up too soon, judging my my ideas or my voice. Um, so it does allow allow for an expansiveness and a, a mm. constant, like just I'm more productive. So what I write doesn't necessarily come out better, but I do write more of it. <laughs> uh, which which is a, a good thing to aim for, I guess. Yeah, it? it really is. Because I, yeah, it makes you feel much better to have 3,000 words at the end of the week or 4,000 words, even if they're uh, rough around the edges, to say the least, than <laughs> 400 beautifully uh, edited words that you end up throwing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So if we should know ourselves well, or try and know ourselves as writers, aside from the mood we're in and whether we've written well that day and you know whether it's raining or not, and all the kind of stuff that just mm-hmm. knocks us around a bit, how, how should we regard ourselves as writers and as people? What is the relationship we should have with ourselves? And perhaps then what is the relationship we should have with other people around us? Oh, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Well, I'm wait, just, how would I'm you just, answer it? Um, so my worldview and my perception on all of this is uh, underpinned and is informed by my faith because I'm a Christian. So for me, it would be absolutely central that somebody in a healthy way loves themselves. Mm-hmm. God loves me and God loves you. Therefore, mm-hmm. you are lovable. Therefore, you should love yourself. I should love myself. And not in an indulgent, I mean, I'm sure you understand, so not in an mm-hmm, indulgent, mm-hmm. silly way. But from that central point, you are a valuable person as you are. And then there is your work, which is a separate thing. Yes, um, yes, yes. And you don't, yes, have, to, you don't yes. have to be a person of any particular faith or whatever to, to, to get that, I think. But how a, a writer should regard themselves as a person of value in and of itself. And then there's their work. Sometimes it's good to put some distance between my work is has this value and I have a certain value. Oh, my God. If you could see me over here, I'm just like, I want to dance out of my chair. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is like, this was a huge understanding for me early in my career. And I remember one particular moment I was give, get, about to give a keynote. I don't remember for whom, but it was, I do remember it was in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Uh, no, Las Vegas, Nevada. Nevada and yeah. I was, um, I was pacing back and forth. I was so scared in my hotel room. And then I started saying to myself over and over again, I am not my work. I am yeah, not my work. Not- and when I was younger, my whole sense of identity and self was fused with being a successful writer. And so of course, if that's the case, every time you're up for a, to write a new chapter to write, you get a new book contract, you don't get a new book contract, whatever it is, your whole sense of self is on the line. That is yeah. completely unsustainable. Yeah, completely. Yeah. 
it's a truth. So that's mm. that's where I start with who am I as a writer is I'm worth more than the work I produce, whatever it is. At, because that's that's the point at which I can produce great work, serve other people, know who I am, and I'm good. Mm, beautiful. Anyway. <laughs> wow. Now, that was really beautiful. I, it really profoundly moved me, and it's... it's but, yeah, I'm great. Thank you, you. These things are all connected, but I, I, I just wanted to ask you about an issue that you raised on your YouTube channel, which is about telling yourself the truth. So why is that important for us as writers to tell ourselves the truth? And what kind of impact does it have on us, do you think? Well, I have no idea what I actually said in that video, but I'm going to tell you what's true for me right now. Yeah. Which is one of my biggest, so related to what we were just talking about, which is that I am not my work. I am Mm. so much more than my work. One of my weaknesses that I've worked on over this many years is knowing that is true. And therefore, when I know that's true, I can find touch feel into draft until it gets there. What I really want to say in the way that I really want to say it. So the opposite of that is me trying to please the reader. So I'll go back to the beginning of our conversation, mm, right? Yeah. Me trying to like be whatever I think these women need me trying to come up with it's often more of a mood or a voice that I get into. It seems a little uh, like over trying, like trying too hard. My daughter once told me, mom, why do you try so hard? <laughs> and so that's what I have to be on the lookout for. I know I'm sure she would say it to me again. Now that she's 24, she doesn't hold back, <laughs> um, which is great. She's incredible. So that for me, it's like there's there's a way that there's a deep truth in and I feel it. I'm a very kinesthetic person, so I mm. feel it very much in my body. And I'm reminded of the three rules that Mary Oliver, the poet, set for herself um, and, and their rules for her truth. And I can't recite them exactly, but they were something about each poem had to have a spiritual truth. It had to have a body. And then there was a third one that is skipping my mind. But I love that because every time I think of them or I come upon them in my notes, I think, yes, those were her way of saying and her words. This is how I navigate by my truth. What's true for me? You know, so if maybe for someone it's very important that you're you're capturing the experience of being um, gender fluid or a Christian or, you know, that you're finding your truth in that. Or maybe if you're writing memoir, it's really taking the time to interview the people who were there and, and see what am I yeah. missing through my point of view. So there can be so many flavors of it, but I don't think it can be rushed. No. No, it can't. I don't think it can. I think I think these things are these things come slowly and they don't stop coming in a way. They don't we don't mm-hmm. stop learning them, do we? No, and that's where self-compassion comes in because you may be so sure that something was the truth and it was. And when you've been in print as long as I have, you have to read your books sometimes that you wrote a long time ago and there are things in there that aren't true for you anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> and true. And they're still yeah. in print, you know? And it's like, "Okay, that's who I was then. That took me a long time." I'd be like, I remember I got, I'm divorced and remarried. And when my hus- first husband and I were going through our divorce, I remember waking up in, in the middle of the night, sitting up in bed and thinking, oh my God, I have a book about relationships. Oh, <laughs> like, do I have to find every copy and burn it? <laughs> <laughs> I was so mortified that I was going to get a divorce when I'd written a popular book about relationships. Oh God. <laughs> I think writers sometimes have the challenge of they when they when you've been writing for a while and you go back and you look at some of your older stuff 
and you almost have to come to a place of peace with it because it's not mm-hmm. what you'd write now. Oh, right. Whether oh, it's so much you're in a different that. place or different, you know, you're a different writer, whatever it is. But that's fine because it's it was a thing of its time, and, and exactly. actually that's okay. Yeah, exactly. So we talked a little bit. We we talked on and off during the course of this conversation about voice, and I said I'd come back to voice, and I'd like to to do that now. So I wondered if you, because I, I I have some theories around voice, writer's voice, but I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about your reflections on voice, just in terms of voice and truth, and voice and personality, and voice and being able to speak something. Mm-hmm. about yourself and from yourself with your voice? Well, one of the things that, that really flavors and colors my looking at voices, I've worked so exclusively with women. And one mm. of the things that they, a lot, not all by any means, have trouble doing is claiming their stories, claiming their perspective, claiming their experience. I just coached somebody last year. Well, she's been coming to my events for on and off for 17 years. And I just coached her through finally really taking a book that she'd been working on for years and making it something that other people would really, really want to read. And mm. now, she, and it, it's, she's, a, uh, um, she's a Christian. It's so she's shopping it to Christian presses and it's, a, I think it's a beautiful book. I think it will be published and it for her to let herself be seen was so difficult for her to let Mm. herself show up. And I would read her writing and I'd be like, where are you? I need to know more here. What were you feeling? What were you Mm. thinking? Mm. Um, she's also a psychiatrist by training. So she spent, you know, 35 years listening to other people, <laughs> but again, not unusual for women to be in those kind of professions. So that's the first part of voice that I find that it just really trying to activate in my writers. You get to claim this, you get to show up, but what if people are hurt if they're writing personal stories or memoirs? I'm like, you get to decide that later, but if it's not on the page, there's nothing to work with. Um, mm-hmm. That decision is mm-hmm. one to be made later. I I also want to say though, for some people, you don't need a writing voice. I mean, you can you can look at some of very successful writers, and they have a very bland voice, or they have the voice that's of you know if they write for the New Yorker, they might have a more of a New Yorker voice that they've, mm. that they've been edited into. So I don't think a distinctive voice is a requirement to be a successful writer. I think you can have a different voice for every project. I just read Patrick DeWitt. Have you ever read any of his novels? No, I haven't. I've heard of it. Oh my God. Every book is completely different, completely different voice. He is a very wildly inventive, incredible writer, pretty disturbing. Um, But I I just read French Exit, um, which is a quick and amazing read from a writing point of view. so yeah, so some people are like, I want, you know, I tr- I try on different personas. I take on the voice of that project. That's great too. Mm. I just have found, again, going back to these sort of central compulsions of my work, that one of the things I'm really good at and really interested in is helping the people who are hiding from what they want to say. And, th- and that's true in fiction too. A- absolutely can be mm. true in fiction. Yes, it is. It isn't just about somebody's life story, mm. is it? It's, it's- no, not at all. Not at all. It can be true in, in self-help or nonfiction or spirituality books, like the book yes. I was speaking about. This a, It's a spirituality book with memoir elements, but it's really a book of, um, it, it's, a, it's deeply a, a book of spiritual direction. Mm. Okay. So how do you encourage somebody that you're working with to, to be confident enough or to be grounded or truthful or whatever it is enough to really express their voice? Mm. Well, I try first to teach them to 
remember that unless they're feeling safe, they're not going to venture into the things that feel forbidden or in yeah. or right in the way that feels like closer to them or more true. So I'll teach them some meditation techniques. One of my favorite ones is, it's funny, I just made it up one day, which is you look around your environment and you say, is there anything here that can eat me? <laughs> right? Because that little old reptile part of your brain is thinking, okay, you're going into forbidden territory here. You're going to be prey. Someone's going to someone's gonna be mad at you. Someone's going to come get you. Someone's going to hurt you. You're going to be ostracized. But that's not conscious. And then your, you know, all your creative uh, faculties start to sort of slow down or shut down. So, so really remembering to breathe. Um, sometimes it'll be, all right, I want you to go and give yourself 15 minutes of concentration. And, and then you can, you know, just a little bit, go in there for a little bit. Sometimes it's very scary to do that. Mm. I often coach people around leaving their jargon. We hide behind jargon. We hide behind big words. We hide behind thinking we have to sound literary. And that can be yeah. such a quick way to lose our voices. And I've worked with a lot of academics. Um, my, one, of my co- one of my clients is um, writing a academic-based book, but for a popular press, for the popular reader. Oh, mm. my gosh. Um, where's your voice? You know, little by little, it would creep out. And I'd be like, that's great. That's fantastic. That's you. That's what I want more of. <laughs> that sly little humor, right? Those yeah. little stories, those three little sentences where you ground what you're talking about and why it matters to you, which you're not allowed to do in academia. You're not supposed to talk about yourself at all. Um, so, so really looking at language often I'll say, okay, I just want you to write this draft the way you would talk. Like that's another, that's a client of mine also right now. Really, really interesting story, really struggling to write it in a way that you would want to read. And, um, so we just, I just, I've been trying to get her to write scenes and give me sensory Mm, detail. And I'm like, okay, forget it, forget sensory detail, forget scenes. I just want you to write it the way that you would tell it to a friend. And that seems to be helping. We seem to be making progress in both clarity and voice. I guess writing is very exposing process, isn't it? I can yes, certainly. Yeah. Like people don't really realise, uh, or, or maybe they think they could just go, they're just doing fiction, and therefore they're not going to be exposing right, themselves exactly. at all. And actually, no, you know, here's the here's the news, guys. You are going to be exposing yourself, whatever whatever you write. Right. The fact that you're interested in tarantulas and whatever is in there, you know, people are going to be like, oh, so you're interested in tarantulas? <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> Um, now, I know one of the things that you have said is that you've talked about the fact that some book ideas succeed and some fail. <laughs> and I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about your thoughts on how you maximize chances of making your project a success. Yeah, well, for sure, hiding in your room and working for years without sharing with anybody or thinking about your reader is not what you want to do. (laughs) Speaking from personal experience. um, So finding safe ways to start well, connecting with your why and connecting with your reader, the two ideas we already talked about, and finding Mm. safe ways to be experimenting with sharing some of your ideas. And by safe, I mean not necessarily just people who are going to say, I love it, I love it, I love it. But how you get feedback and where you get it from is crucial because I have seen so many people I work with shut down for years because of a badly um, set up or managed um, writing group or, or even writing program or something led by a professional. But the third thing is, is this idea that I learned from Lisa Cron, who wrote um, Story Genius, which if you're writing fiction, I think is one of the best books for writing fiction. 
And she talks about what she calls the third rail. And she talks about it in a, spe- a way specific for fiction. But what I've taken it away for, for all books to mean is what's the book really about? And how are you touching and growing and giving power to that third rail, you know, which is what gives subway trains power um, mm. as a metaphor? How mm. are you building that throughout the book? How are you touching the third rail? So I'll give a really simple example. I had a woman at a retreat that I led in January, and she came with a lot of different ideas about what she wanted to write. And we had a little coaching session. And during that, I introduced, I said, you know, you really have to have, you have to pick one thing that this book is going to be about. And she is, um, works with people. She's a Christian dream interpreter. So she works with Christians okay. around interpreting their dreams and has had this hugely incredible mentors and people who are like the, like the gurus in the field who want her to carry on the work cause they're old. And so she was talking about, well, I want a, a basic book about dream interpretation. And of course, the mind, the head, my mind is thinking, no one's going to buy that. <laughs> it's, too <laughs> it's too general, but I, of course, would never say that. And so what we came up with through a back and forth is that it really is a book about how you use your dreams to discern God's calling for your life. Mm. That became her third rail. I'm like, so every idea, every story yeah. from your life and from your clients' lives, the people she works with, you know, if you have permission to share them or create composites, it has to touch that and build on it. And we can, of course, divide that up with different themes and what gets in the way of listening to God's calling. And um, But it's very different to think about that, right, than a book about basic dream interpretation, which just made me want to, you know, take a nap. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there, there's an interesting principle there, I think, which, again, it you don't have to believe in any one thing or, no, or anything at all, do you really, to, to, to kind of get that in that you, you've kind of pursued the truth of what that person is really about. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to see if I can think of another example of that. It's like, it, it kind of reminds me, I don't, I don't know whether this is going to work as, a, as, an, as an analogy, but it reminds me of the story of when St. Paul's Cathedral was being built in the 17th century in London. And um, somebody visited visited the site when they were putting this this massive building up. And there'd be stonemasons there and maybe an architect or one of his team. And there would be other people doing other specific skills. And so you could go to one of each of these people and they'd say, I'm a stonemason or I'm a carpenter or I'm mm-hmm. whatever. And then there's one guy running around with a wheelbarrow and just, or, or a broom or something. He's just you know, doing odd job, clearing up mess. And you, you can go to this guy and say, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral. Mm-hmm. So he is the person, that that is the person who understands what they're really doing. Mm-hmm. I love really- that analogy. It's a great story because that's true. If we don't, you know, so again, it's making those choices. It's saying yeah. this is the, this is the shape of the uh, and this is the this is the lifeblood. This is the energy that I'm going to touch on, and it, and and it's going to pull people through. Now, in fiction, it could very much be you know what what does the character want, and what's getting in their way, what's their misbelief, mm. what's the inner struggle, as well as the outer struggle. How do I keep touching on that misbelief, showing them? you know, working through it. No, no, clutching it again and, and, and stopping and going as fast as they can away from getting in their own way. Um, there's lots of ways to work with it, but yeah, that's exactly it. And, and that, 
that's where the energy i think the the truth of what the story is about is where the energy is in it and sometimes it's very hard to discern i mean yes again with the memoir that i wrote i had no idea what the third rail was and then i conceived another book out of that and i thought i knew exactly what it was but it was too contrived and i wrote i wrote four chapters of it i wrote a book proposal i was high as a kite i thought it was the best (laughs) thing sliced bread i sent it to my agent she said no she said, but you know, she said, no, I just not said when she and I signed, she was no, not a big deal. And now she's a really big fiction agent with some very famous clients. She's like, I just don't know how to sell this anymore, but let me sh- show it to the rest of the agency. I'm sure they will. And they all passed on it. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. But I woke up, it took a few weeks and I woke up and I realized, oh my God, I, that was so contrived. I came up with an idea. I came up with a hook, but it wasn't really mine. It yeah. was yeah. It was contrived. So then I had to start all over again. And and that's how the book, you know, after, I mean, it wasn't automatic or quick or easy. It took a number of months um, to really discover what I wanted to write about. And, and yet when you find it, and I'm sure you know this, you're like, well, that's as obvious as the nose on my face. And my nose is fairly prominent. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, these truths are, they are, they seem obvious, They're but only so once obvious. you know them. Only once you've found them. I keep thinking of other things which are almost examples of this. I don't know whether you've seen... There's a new film out, a Laurel and Hardy film. Mm-hmm. I don't know I whether you've seen it. seen it. And it's a film about Laurel and Hardy. They're, you know, comedians from the, like, 30s, 40s, 50s. And, and actually, when you look at the film, it's, you, there's funny bits and there's bits about their lives and whatever else. But actually, it's a love story. Oh. It's, it's, it, it is... They, they, they loved... I mean, in, I mean they're, they're both heterosexual guys and they're both married and all the rest of it, but they loved each other. And that's that's the energy of the story, how they mm. how they relate to each other and how they care for each other, even though that you know they bicker about things, they argue and whatever else. But they that's the energy in the story. And I think that's it's it's all of all of these things are pointing towards what is the truth of the story which actually drives the thing. Yes. Or you did you see the um Won't You Be My Friend, the story about Mr. Rogers? I don't think I did, no. Okay, no, but you, tell us but about that. You need to hang up now and, and go watch it. <laughs> Forget <laughs> no, to read this interview. This is not first. as important as watching that movie, everybody. Um, and I never watched Mr. Rogers as a kid. I thought he was creepy. I He talked way too slow for me. You might have noticed I talked kind of fast. Um, I was like that. I came out of the womb that way. Um, but this is a movie about his career. And it is such a great example of what is the third rail. And the third rail is that he wanted children to know exactly what you told us earlier, which is they are not their work. They are not their accomplishments. They are not anything but love. And he modeled that throughout his entire career in so many ways. And you are so profoundly moved and inspired to be a better person watching that movie. Mm-hmm. But someone else could have taken his life and his content and created something completely different, right? Because there was yeah. lots of themes in his life, but yeah, someone yeah, yeah. saw that's what he was really up to. That's what he was really up to. He was teaching kids that they were beautiful and loved and good no matter what. It's a tough gig, but it's, <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, for me, it did, that's a... I suppose it's whatever for any writer, bringing it back to writing for any Mm -hmm. writer, it's like, what's the thing that makes you kind of sit up and and think, that's it. That's Mm -hmm. that's in. Now I'm interested. Now I've Mm -hmm. heard something which I'm connecting with. And maybe just teasing that as, as you were saying with some of your clients, they people write in all kinds of weird and funny and boring ways. But actually underneath, you could kind of begin to coax out 
the real story, the real voice. What and sometimes, really like, yeah, exactly. That's beautifully said. And great if you can do it, because that is that is tough. I mean, particularly with your a- academics, I think. If you can get them to actually be real, that's great. <laughs> and it's, and it's a, again, it's a safety issue. We have to look at what is our what are the different, you know, we especially when we're a specialist in something. I've worked with a lot of lawyers, doctors, yeah, um, yeah. academics. So you spent years getting that training. You spent years getting a certain brain, creating a brain that can do the things that it does. And if you're going to unlearn that so you can write poetry, you know, yeah. or erotica or a personal memoir, well, it may take you a little while. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a completely different scale, isn't it? Completely. Mm-hmm. Well, so Jen, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about what you do. I mean, you've, you've referred to all of the kind of things that you, you do, but mm-hmm. what is it that you, you're offering to people and what is it that you can help people with? So more, let's, let's get specific about the things that you do and the, thing, the ways in which you can help writers and to, to really express themselves. Well, I do three things primarily. One is I have a membership community and it's called the Writer's Oasis. And we have about half creatives who work in other disciplines and about half people who work in writing genres. And it really arose, again, iteration, 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 out (laughs) of a book that I wrote a number of years ago called The Life Organizer that's just filled with all these mindful questions. And I've been Mm. obsessed with how do we keep showing up for the life we really want? How do we keep asking ourselves? How do we keep getting past all the things that get in our way? So I've created all these iterations around that, including that book. And um, this is an iteration. So every week I create a new audio <laughs> every week. Uh, I skip a few weeks a year and replay one, but, and, and I, I use meditation techniques and poetry and stories mm. and writing prompts to help people stay clear and stay devoted and make the hard choices about when, when are they going to do their creative work that week? So that's one thing. And then there's community aspects and we have a live call with a guest and there's a writing library. I create writing practices and there's all kinds of other things cool. that go with it. And what is so that? What's one. that called again? It's called the Writer's Oasis. The Writer's Oasis. Okay. Yes. yes. And then the second thing I do is I lead um, writing retreats and workshops. And those are a combination of craft and self-care and community and a chance to read your work. And they're inc- I've been doing them for about 20 years. So they're incredibly calibrated to be incredibly powerful, wonderful experiences. Mm. And I have a lot of people who come back year after year. I do three of those in Taos, New Mexico at the Mabel Dodge Lujan house. And for anybody who's interested in quite the historical character, she's really interesting to read about and it's an incredible property. And then um, next year we're going to add, we were in Mexico, but we're going to move to California. I do one at my house. Um, that's more of a workshop because you don't want to actually sleep in my basement, <laughs> <laughs> which is a nice basement, but you know, um, it's unfinished. And then the third thing I do is, is I do a mastermind and, and, uh, we have a small group and it has different, you know, we do group work and I do one-on-one coaching and developmental editing yeah. as part of that. And we have a okay. lot of accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And if people are uh, interested in following up on this and finding out a little bit more about you and maybe kind of accessing some of the stuff that you talked about, how can they do that? You just go to jenniferloudon.com and there it's all right there. And you can sign up for my newsletter. I usually write something every week. Um, Sometimes it's very specifically about writing. Sometimes it's about creativity. Sometimes it's about my mom dying. (laughs) So it's, um, yeah, very 
uh, try to make it useful every week. Um, so yeah, so that's all there at jenniferloudin.com. And, and Loudon's for L-O-U-D-E-N. Exactly. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, cool. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> that conversation went all over the place to places yeah, I didn't think yeah. it would, which is great. I'd, I love uh, that. Yeah, I'm I'm always happy when that when that happens because um, so long so long as the so long as I don't ask somebody something and they go what you didn't say you were gonna <laughs> oh I've done this for I've been interviewed I think for 28 years so yeah. you know the only interviews that really bug people are the ones when the person really doesn't care I remember when I was doing yeah. my first book tours and I would sit down to do you know morning television and you'd have the three minutes with the with the perky host and they would literally be looking at your book for the first time right before the cameras rolled yeah. and you just be like, Oh man, I get it. You're busy. You get so many guests every week, but I feel kind of like a prostitute now. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I'm just pretending to be interested. It's, it's pretence. Yeah. Isn't it? And nobody yeah. Else pretends. Yeah. That's the only time I don't like being interviewed. Yeah. You just feel it. And the sound bites, they want you to have sound bites, sound bites, sound bites. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have, well, we probably have had some sound bites in amongst all of this, but it's a, uh, but you know, I like to have a proper conversation with people. It was really wonderful. Thank you. So, yeah, thank you very much, Jen, for, for your time. It's been a really fascinating conversation um, and, and a privilege to, to talk to you. Oh, ditto. I'm going to take so much away from this. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, Jen. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com.